child to its mother. Obviously, this is not my first Christmas. And for most of you, that is that's true as well. And uh, I know that most of you could tell the Christmas story uh, in great detail because you've heard it so long or so many times. But my prayer is this morning that we would just, as you heard me pray a little while ago, that our hearts would slow down, our minds would slow down. I don't know about you, but December seems to be one of the fastest moving months of the 12 months in the year. We try to cram so much into those 31 days. But I just want to slow down and I want to think about the birth of Jesus. Why have the billions and billions of babies that have been born over the centuries that we pause on this day of the year and most of the world would pause to give credence to the fact that Jesus Christ was born. And for those who don't believe that he was born, they're just as passionate about trying to wipe out Christians and wipe out Christmas as we are about celebrating Christmas. Brother George C., uh, in his latest letter that he sent to us this month, tells that in India many churches are not having Christmas services this year because of the militant Hindus that are doing everything they can to stop the preaching of the gospel. Right now in one state in northern India where the seminary is that we are part of supporting, 62 pastors are in prison today for the crime of preaching the gospel and people being converted. And the accusation is as they are paying them to leave Hinduism and to come into Christianity because what happens when they give their hearts to Christ, their life is blessed, and it appears like the church gave them material blessings when indeed it was God who gave them blessings. Who is this child? Who is this child? Before I read the declaration, I want to get the backstory. I want to find out where it all started. When we jump into Luke chapter 1, it's kind of like turning into one of those uh, nighttime episodes on TV, those serial things that keep on going, and you jump in and about number 10 instead of number 1, and your spouse has been watching all the way through, and then you're saying, well, who's married to who, and why doesn't he like her, and why, what is going on there? Jumping into Luke 1 is... Jumping into the middle of the story. The story begins in the beginning. Now I want to look at Genesis chapter 2. Verse 15 said, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Garden of Eden was a perfect place, perfect climate. It contained everything that the human race would need for life. It contained every kind of tree with every kind of good fruit. But there were two special trees in the middle of the garden that God said, I don't want you to eat. 
especially this tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. We jump down to chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than another beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And notice how he takes partial truth and begins to taint it. He begins to taint. Now, obviously, it was a different dimension in the garden. Here's a walking, talking serpent. But it was a serpent that had been possessed by Lucifer, who had been cast out of heaven for his rebellion against God. God created Lucifer to be a worshiper in heaven, but he wanted all the worship for himself instead of God, and he wanted to be as God. And he comes into this paradise, uses the serpent to speak to this woman. Did God actually say? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, I don't know if God ever said, if you touch it, because we read in chapter 2 that he just said, don't eat it. That's how we get into legalism, is we start adding addendums to what God said. I don't know. We don't have the whole story. Eve repeats what God said, if we eat it, we die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Now, as I recall, it said in chapter 1 that let us make man in our own image. They were already God-like. You will be like God. And you'll, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. By the way, do you know you can't hide from God? So why do we try? First note, God said if you eat the fruit, you will die. He did not say, I will kill you. There's a difference. He said if you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. He did not say if you eat of this fruit, I'm going to kill you. That's difference. Now, I know that we live in the day of enlightenment, and the younger generations no longer put that stuff underneath the kitchen sink that we put underneath the kitchen sink when we were raising our kids. You know the stuff that says, keep out of the reach of children, do not ingest, it's poison. If you say to your kid, don't drink the Drano, it will kill you. You will die. 
You're not saying, I'm going to kill you. You're saying, if you take of that poison, it will kill you. See the difference? God didn't say, I'm going to kill you if you sin. But God put into motion right and wrong. And when you sin, the wages of sin is death. To not obey God is sin. It will bring death. God gave us choices. Now, you didn't have a choice as to who your parents were. When you were born, you didn't have a choice as to the color of your hair. I know today that obviously you have choices. The color of your eyes, the color of your skin, whether you were born male or female. But God gave you a choice to obey God or ignore God. To obey God or disobey God. To disobey, the death process begins. The process of physical death began when Eve and Adam partook of that, the process of physical death. They eventually, their body died. But there was also a spiritual death that took place. Because of their disobedience, God dispelled them from his presence in the garden. Their disobedience brought death into the world. There were no thorns or thistles before they sinned. It brought death. Their disobedience brought death to all creation. Now I know that our governor is trying to save this planet, but Eve doomed this planet. And one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Because this planet is crying out, Romans chapter 8 tells us, for renewal. Because death came because of that sin. God drove them out of the garden, lest they eat of the tree of life and live in their lost condition forever. You find that in the third chapter. God drove them out of the garden, lest they eat now the tree of, of life and live in their lost condition forever. He warned them there will be consequences. They disobeyed. God came and he cursed the serpent and he cursed Satan who was using the serpent. To, the saint, to Satan he said in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. This is the first of many prophecies that one day there will be a Savior who will come to restore the hope of life. There will be a Savior that will come to restore the kind of intimacy that Adam and Eve had where they walked with God in the Garden of Eden. Fast forward 700, or to 700 years before Christ. Time of prophet Isaiah. Very, very dark time in the history of Israel. History of Judah. And um, a king who sometimes depended on God and sometimes tried to figure out things himself. Isaiah comes to him and says, Ahaz, I want you to ask God for a sign. And Ahaz was afraid to ask God for a sign. But God said, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. And in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, 
a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. With that background, we come to the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? Now, the temptation for me is to really get into deep into this, but I'm not going to because it's Christmas morning. But I do want you to know that Nazareth, though today is a significant city, today there's a healthy population. In the first century A.D., it was a village. Some archaeologists believe that there was all of 470 people living there. The center of religious activity in that particular day, in that culture, would have been in Judea. It would have been in Jerusalem. It would have been at the temple. Nazareth was a, what I call a non-place. Podunkville. The kind of place they didn't have one stoplight. I mean, it was... I call it that place because, remember when Philip went to Nathanael and said, come on, we found the Messiah. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael's first response was, can any good thing come out of South... uh, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Scarry. Slipped. It was a no, you know, let's talk about Mary. Who is Mary? From everything that we're able to put together from historical writings, Mary was a teenage girl between 12 and 16 years of age. Between 12 and 16 years of age. And in our culture, we think, my goodness, they would have an engaged girl at that age. In that culture, not that uncommon. Growing up as a girl in the city of Nazareth, her general expectation of her life story would be nothing extraordinary. She would marry humbly, the carpenter. She would give birth to a number of children, never travel more than a few miles from her home, and then die like everyone else. She was an insignificant young woman in a no-place town in the middle of nowhere. That is until Mary was chosen. Mary was chosen. She was chosen to be graced by God in a a once-in-all-history manner. 
to be graced by God in a once-in-all-history manner. The angel said, addressed her, Oh, favored one. I think the NIV said, Oh, you are highly favored. You have found favor. You found charis. You found grace with God. Her own confession, as she writes her song when she goes to see Elizabeth in the, the end of chapter 1 is, all the nations and all the people for all the time, they're going to call me blessed. She was chosen to give birth to the Messiah. Of all the billions of young women who have ever been born, she was given the divine assignment to carrying the child, the Christ child, nursing that child. In my reading this week, I came across something from 300 years ago, and Alexander White observed that Jesus most likely bore in his face some resemblance of Mary. Jesus' face could be seen in hers. He said, you are highly favored. He bypassed Judea. He bypassed Jerusalem. He bypassed the high priest's beautiful daughters. He bypassed the temple. He goes all the way to Nazareth. Mary, you'll be the recipient of special divine grace. You are highly favored. She was favored with the presence of God. The presence of God. The Lord is with you. That's a phrase that appears throughout the Old Testament when we're reading about the saints that God used to do great things in, in the first part of, that, uh, of history in the Old Testament. The Lord is with you. Here's a very important fact about Mary. Mary was a virgin. Mary was a virgin. What does that mean? Exactly what it says. She had never engaged in a sexual encounter with a man. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, most likely arranged by her parents and his parents. Engagement was usually at least a year long. They didn't necessarily date. They might not even see each other all that much, according to what I read. And, uh, but if you were engaged, if you changed your mind, I don't know if the lady had the privilege, but if a man changed his mind, he had to go to divorce court and get a divorce decree to break the engagement. Remember, we read, God said to the serpent, Satan, that uh, the offspring of a woman would crush his head. The baby that was born to Mary was the result of a biological miracle. I don't know if when you read books or read the Bible, if you try to put yourself in the picture. I do. I wonder what that moment was like. I wonder how he appeared. Did he knock on the door? dressed in business casual with a business card and say, I'm Gabriel from heaven? <laughs> Did he just appear in the room with wings 
maybe hovering above the ground just a little bit so she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt this is somebody from heaven. All we know is it was Gabriel. The father sent him, and she understood that he was a messenger from heaven. He says, greetings. It could be rejoice, O favored one. You're going to have a child. And it says she was greatly troubled at such a greeting. What's going on here? What, what are you talking about? I'm graced by God? And while she's trying to wrap her mind around this, Gabriel proceeds to give the message about her upcoming motherhood. And in a display of a, of a level of maturity for such a young woman, she asked a very solid question. Mary said to the angel, How will this be? How will this be? Since I'm a virgin. Could be translated, since I have never been with a man. How is this going to be? Now, it's not a question of doubt. It's a very logical, pragmatic question. How can that take place? How is that even possible? How will this be? I want to suggest to you that this is... Uh, this question is a prerequisite for the personal experience of God's grace for every one of us. How, God? How? And I say that because I link it to what happened in John chapter 3 when a very religious man came to Jesus one night. Good master, we know that you're sent from God because nobody can do what you've done. And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, How can this be? How can this be? And by asking that question, he discovered exactly how that could be. That he could be born of the Spirit. Holy Spirit would cause him to be born again as he opened his heart to the reality of Jesus Christ and who he was. I pray that God has brought some of you today to ask that same question to the Lord. How can this be? And you'll experience something that only God can do for you. Gabriel's response the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. You there, Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. The Christ child was conceived by a creative miracle. There was no sexual relations between God and this girl. I want to make that very clear. Just as God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be, and in Genesis chapter 1, let there be cattle, let there be, and there was, and it was good. She's overshadowed by the presence of God. And a creative miracle took place in the womb of a virgin. And the egg was impregnated by a creative miracle of God. 
By the way, I'm busy. By the way, <laughs> Gabriel points out, Mary, you're not the only one receiving a creative miracle. Your cousin Elizabeth, an older lady, beyond childbearing. Do I need to be more graphic? She is six months pregnant with a child. It's not the first time that happened in the Bible. Sarah was only 90. And when the angel said to her, in nine months you're going to have a child, and she laughed because my body's dead. And his is too. Read it in the scriptures. God did a creative miracle. I want you to know God still does creative miracles. God still does creative miracles. We've had people sitting in this place who were going to go to surgery the next morning to have a tumor removed, and when they got there and the doctor opened them up, the tumor was gone. We've had people, the doctor said, you're going to die of cancer and you only got a few minutes to live. One of them literally dying. And God touched him and he's still alive today and that's 40 some years ago. God still does creative miracles. For nothing will be impossible. I know of two men who were part of this church who broke their backs. Now that can be a lifelong issue. Both of them were healed to the point when the doctors look at the x-rays, they could no longer find where the fractures were. They'd seen them before. God can do creative miracles. Let's talk about the baby. After all, that's why we're here. The baby. You will call him Jesus. You will call him Jesus. This is the Greek transliteration of the name Joshua, a common name among Hebrew people. The name means Savior. The angel appeared to Mary's fiancé, Joseph, in a dream, and he gave Joseph the assignment as a stepfather to this child as this child grows up. And it's in that encounter with Joseph that we learn the reason why God said, you will call his name Jesus. Matthew 1.21 says, She will bear a son, Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Call him Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Who is the baby? He is God's son. He is God's son. He is the son of God. Luke one thirty two says, He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. Luke one thirty five said, Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. I want you to know this was not a created son, like some cults teach you. John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glories of the only Son from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. Jesus was and is fully God and fully man. He is fully God and fully man. More than once, Jesus talked about the Father and I are one. As you read through the Gospels, you hear him refer to the Father, the Holy Spirit. We are all one. Going back to where we started with Adam and Eve being expelled from paradise. Before they went, because they knew that they were naked and because of the sin and the decay of the planet, they needed covering. God made them clothes. Now, I know they made their first clothes out of fig leaves. Does not sound very comfortable to me. But God made them clothes out of animal skins. It becomes very clear as we read through the Scripture that God explained to them, because of your sin, there has to be bloodshed. There has to be a sacrifice. I believe he showed them when he killed those animals to make them close. Because you read when their sons were born that Abel offered the firstborn lamb from his flock as a sacrifice to God. And from the time of Adam and Eve till A.D. 70 when the Jerusalem was destroyed, the people of God would bring a lamb, they would bring a goat, they would bring a bull. And they would kill that lamb and offer it on a burnt offering. And the blood would be sprinkled on the altar, declaring, we know that we have sinned, and we know that it takes blood to wash away those sin. And we're looking for the day that the perfect lamb of God comes. Call him Jesus. John called him the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, he is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the promised one. In the latter part of verse 32, and verse 33, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's a repeat of what God said to David about a thousand years before Jesus was born. The David covenant. The God who made the heavens. And the heavens cannot contain him, the scripture says. He became human and lived among us. There never was and never will be a man who can save us. The only way that we could be saved is for God to become one of us. The only way we could be saved is for God to become one of us. I'd love to spend an hour talking about Mary and what she went through, revealing that she was pregnant. Whole different culture. I'm really a virgin. You're right. I wonder how she contemplated the movement of this child in my womb is the Son of God. How much she understood, we'll never know until we get to heaven. 
I've been doing what I'm doing this morning a long time. Though to me it just seems like a few years. It's Christmas number 70 for me. And I've been to a Christmas service of some type, at least one, every one of those 70 years. I have been preaching Christmas sermons for a long time. Sometimes I take a whole month to preach about Christmas. Every Sunday for five weeks, four weeks, six weeks, I'll preach about Christmas. Most of you here today, as I already said, know the story very, very well. You can tell it. Let's beware of seasonal amnesia. I'll explain that. It happens in the church culture at least twice a year. It happens on Good Friday. The past 15 years or so, we've been involved with a community Good Friday service at the Longview Community Church, where there are people from uh, all kinds of different denominations come together to contemplate the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are certain traditions with that Good Friday that it's all about mourning and being somber, as if Easter does not exist. They want you to forget about Easter. I have a hard time forgetting about Easter, even on Good Friday. That's why it's called Good Friday, is because there's an Easter. This morning, my admonition, don't leave Jesus in the manger. Don't leave Jesus in the manger. That's just the beginning of the story. Emmanuel. God with us. The Christmas story continues in the Gospel of John, chapter 18. Where it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, a chief priest, have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Pilate said to him, So you are king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I've come into the world. To bear witness to truth. Everyone who hears of the truth listens to my voice. Chapter 19, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. Skipping down to verse 16. So he, Pilate, delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is Aramaic. It's called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, 
It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus was born in a stable to die on a cross for you and me. The fact that God came to earth in the form of a baby is a miracle that's hard to believe. In fact, I believe it takes the Holy Spirit to give you the faith to believe in the Incarnation. But the miracle of God dying for my sins, what an incredible gift. What amazing love. The total perfect one the totally sinless one took my just punishment. He took your just punishment that you might have eternal life so that one day Revelation says to him that overcome he will eat of the tree of life. The tree that he cast them out of the garden until they could be redeemed. But now that we can be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can partake of the tree of life and live forever. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe? Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your your heart, not your head, the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they have not given their heart to that belief. Your heart, the place where you make decisions, the choices, your will, you will be saved. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Next Sunday morning we're going to have a baptismal service. You've not been baptized in water and you've given your heart to Jesus Christ in faith. You need to do that. The requirements are listed in the bulletin today. Christmas is about the greatest gift the world has ever seen. Unto you is born this day in the city of David. Unto you, unto you, a Savior, Christ the Lord. But it's a gift that must be opened. It's a gift that must be appropriated. It's a gift to be used not to be put on the shelf. To really experience Christmas, we must follow Mary's lead as she responded to the announcement given to her by Gabriel. Mary had a choice. You have a choice. Because God created you with a free will. Her her choice, her response, verse 38, Luke 1. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her.
Let it be to me according to your word. Mary gave herself in profound submission to the Lord. She gave herself in profound submission to the Lord. Was it easy? No. I'm not telling you if you give your heart to Jesus Christ, you have an easy life. But I'm telling you, you'll have a blessed life because you'll have the presence and the grace of God. Romans 10, 9, I must confess, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross. In other words, have the same attitude that Jesus did, where he was totally obedient to the Father, the point of death on the cross, and follow me. The Christmas message that includes the cross, and it includes the resurrection, demands a response this morning. As I said a moment ago, it's a gift I must open. I must make it a part of my daily life. I'm your servant, Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Application statement at the very end of the notes. For me today, Jesus is. For me today, Jesus is. How do you feel that in? A baby in the manger? Can you say, Jesus Christ is my Savior and my Lord. He's my hope of life here and now and hereafter. This morning as we conclude this service together, we're going to sing a song again that we sang earlier, time of worship. And if you have a need of a miracle, physically or spiritually, I want you to come and stand in the front and there'll be those who come and they're going to pray with you. And if today you need to say, Jesus, I need to make you the Lord of my life. I invite you to come and be a part of this prayer time. And as we sing these songs, we're going to sing two songs and then we'll close in prayer. I want you to make this a moment of surrender today to the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's not a baby. He's the Father. He's with the Father at the right hand. Revelations 1 tells us there's coming a day that every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and the nations will mourn. Personally, I'm not planning on mourning when I see him because I know he's my Savior. Can you say that? So, I invite you to stand with us as we sing and worship. If you have a need, come to the front. Come, now is the time to worship. Come. Now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. 
Just as you are before your come one day. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. And still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you. One day. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. And still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come. Now is the time to give your heart. You come just as you are to worship. Come just as you are before your God. We come one day. One day. Every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. And still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose. Willingly we choose. Willingly we choose to surrender our lives. Willingly our knees will bow. With all our hearts, so find their strength. We gladly, oh, one more time, willingly we choose. Willingly we choose to surrender our lives. Willingly our knees will bow. With all our hearts, so mind and strength, we gladly choose you now. So come, now is the time to worship. Now is the time to give your heart. Oh, come, just as you are to worship. Come, just as you are before your God.
because you were forsaken, I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. I'm forgiven, because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you in all I do. joy to honor you. 